0: Hey New Numa family, this is Britt Eaton. You're listening to the New Numa Godcast. I love listening to my brother Norman, the Professor Brown, because he never shies away from topics most of the church won't even touch. If this is your first time listening, make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and on the YouTube channel today.
1: What's good, New Numa fam? I'm your host, Norman the Professor, aka Norman Brown. Welcome to the podcast where you come to get the real from a biblical perspective. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, I'd like to personally welcome you and want to let you know a little about what you may expect. I attack the raw issues affecting the church and the world at large today, giving you biblical backup for everything I say. Basically, this podcast gets in your face with issues that are trending, taboo, and tough to talk about, which today's watered-down churches don't even touch. I also interview Christians of all types of backgrounds, careers, ministries, and more to put on record their stories of redemption, salvation, and victory to inspire you to walk out your kingdom purpose to expand the kingdom of God in the earth. If you want the truth, this is definitely a podcast you want to hear. So get your spiritual ears ready to hear what the Lord is saying to the church. Peace. What's up, family? Welcome
2: again to the New Number Godcast. I'm your host, Norman Brown, the professor. And today I have Brittany Eaton once again in the building. How are you doing again, Brittany?
0: Norman, I'm so good. Thank you so much for having me, brother. It is an honor and a pleasure to be with you.
2: Yes, I'm glad to have you on here. And, you know, um, I am... I'm excited about this subject that we're about to talk about because it's one of those kind of things that in the day and age that we live in, it's a very relevant subject, um, even more than probably when it was written because a lot of women have lost this this concept in the West um, of what it means to be the kind of woman that the Bible speaks of in Proverbs 31. And it's a shame Mm -hmm. because... The culture that's been built up, and we're going to talk about this in another podcast, um, in the future. I guess I'll give people kind of a sneak peek into it, but we're going to be talking about feminism, and, um, yeah. and that's kind of related to why this subject in itself is very much neglected, and, um, uh, why it needs to be addressed, especially in the West, like I said. So, uh, today we're going to be talking about Proverbs 31, the famous passage that even people that are not born again know about, um, where it talks about this certain kind of woman that is very distinct, and, and she's got so much going for her, so many great qualities about her. And, you know, what I wanted to do with this series is basically break it down, you know, little by little, just to kind of go into a little depth of what this woman looks like especially in light of the type of society that we live in today because in the society we live in today it's like a lost it's almost like a lost art you know kind of like you know you might have had people back in the day that um they they cooked a certain way they cooked you know with a certain type of atmosphere as far as the family and stuff like that and now you know with people all over the place and doing their own thing it's like you, it's a total different outlook on cooking than it used to be back when, you know, people used to sit around for hours and talk and discuss things and be around family and things like that. So with this whole concept of the Proverbs 31 woman, I just feel like it's it's basically a similar type of uh, lost art. I mean, and we're going to get into that more as we get into this, but um one of the things I wanted to do was I wanted to start out – by looking at what the Proverbs 31 woman looks like as far as what the scripture says. And then once I, you know, read the scriptures as far as how it it reads, then we'll go through and we'll just kind of like start talking about it. This is going to be pretty much off the cuff. I mean, this is just, we're having dialogue as if we're just having a conversation about you know what it means what it looks like how it you know translates into today and things of that nature and then we're going to just go from there and allow the lord to just lead us however it goes so um yeah. so now I want to start out for those that either are not as familiar with this passage of scripture whatever we're in Proverbs 31 verse 10 <clears throat> and so i'm going to just read from the King James Version. That's typically the version that I normally read when, I, when I'm studying anyway. So um, Proverbs 31, verse 10 says, Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is yet night and gives meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She girders her loins with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good. Her candle does not go out by night. She lays her hands to the spindle and her hands hold the distaff. She stretches out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reaches forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household. For all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes fine linen and sells it and delivers girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue the law of kindness. She looks well to the ways of her household and eats not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but you excel them all. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some yeah. Powerful right. words.
0: Presbyterian, and this is where we would say, like, this is the word of the Lord. And we would all be like, thanks be to God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so wow. Oh, my gosh. I haven't read that King James version in quite a while. I was actually reading through, studying, uh, preparing for some of this in the Passion Translation. And wow, there's like that, there's just nothing like the King James. Wow. It's just so special. Thank you for reading that. And that authoritative voice you have is just awesome. Love it. So let's dig in.
2: Yeah, so I want to just say, like, off the top, just thinking about what we just read. I mean, that's a lot of stuff that uh, I don't see a lot of women uh, living up to that these days. I don't see any
0: human living up to that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like that's a lot of, uh, you could call it a tall order, right? Yeah, And um, so I think that uh, one of the things that, you know, and this is why, you know, as uh, ironically today, the first, uh, I'm going to call it the first installment of submission is not slavery, just dropped today. And that's Mm -hmm. how you and I were discussing, you know, submission. And um, it's kind of interesting that, on today uh we're now discussing this and um oh, absolutely when i look at this when i look at this passage as a overall like you know theme i see a woman who obviously was raised well and she was taught things that she was able to implement as a wife and one of the things that I feel like has uh, definitely become a lost art is women being prepared by their mothers and or grandmothers um, or just in general by their their family to become um, the kind of woman that would be, you know, able to do the things that this woman is doing. I mean, she sounds like she was well prepared well well groomed, well trained, all those kinds of things, and that she saw good examples before her and the thing is is that this is not you know this is not something that is um uh, like if you if you remember the one passage it taught, one verse rather, it said there are many who do virtuously. Many daughters have done virtuously, but you excelled them all. So it's not saying that this is unattainable, and it's not mm-hmm. saying that there are not uh, many people who can who can be this kind of person. But mm-hmm. it does also show that there are levels. It, it yeah. shows that some people do it better than others, and mm-hmm. um, and so. But the bottom line is. That there are certain qualities that are really like they really stand out and in, in this kind of woman that is being discussed here, so what do you think about when you hear like if you if you had to put it in like a a paragraph or whatever of what you hear or what you get out of this like just off the top you know the overall theme what like what is it that stands out to you?
0: Yeah, well as I walk through Proverbs 31, if I were reading it from an a, a completely human lens and taking the words just literally off the page for what they seem to be in the moment, I would take the Proverbs 31 passage as a ridiculously lengthy checklist that I could personally never hope to achieve, even if I did nothing but strive for the rest of my days. But it's really important when we are looking at passages, especially in Proverbs, especially in the Psalms, and especially in the Old Testament, when we jump in here, we need to understand how to read Scripture that comes before Christ with a new covenant lens. So when we look at the Proverbs 31 passages, this, this whole section of Proverbs is actually a Hebrew acrostic poem. It's not even just like a passage. It's not even like, let me lay down what the ladies should be doing right now. It, it's literally not actually about a single literal perfect woman that once existed. The poem is celebrating the val the valor, the bravery and uniqueness of womankind, certainly celebrating her. But even more so, and this is an important lens for us to consider as we're looking through this, whether we go through it line by line or whether we talk about things um, from a higher level perspective, this section of scripture is an allegory for the church the bride of Christ, she is full of virtue and grace. And even when we look at that wife label, for women in the church, and I am married, but there are a lot of women in the church who are not married who look at that wife label and say, well, I'm not married, so I guess I'm already failing before I even started this checklist. There is so much weird shaming and blaming and this, this passage, beautiful as it is, has unfortunately really been weaponized by the church. So it's important for us to have full context of scripture, full context of a new covenant lens, understanding that every part of this was pointing to Jesus. The wife label here is really about the bride of Christ. When you think about the husband in this poem as being Jesus and the wife as his church, that perfect bride... That makes phrases like, you know, her husband has, you know, full confidence in her and her husband is respected. These things make more sense when we have that allegory in place. But probably, let's take it back to basics. We're talking about, like, as a woman, how does this passage of Scripture make me feel? In, in further research, understanding even in the beauty of the original King James, the original translation of the Hebrew does not actually mean virtuous woman in the way that we think of that in a modern sense. It actually means something like a woman warrior, a woman of valor, or even probably most accurately translated, it means daring woman, a woman who will step out. And it, what it doesn't mean is like, The good woman, the capable woman, the capable wife, or even the stretch that would say, like, the well-behaved woman, the good girl, (laughs) some of this. And I'm definitely not someone who would identify with an earthly label of feminist, but I will tell you right now, Well-behaved women rarely make history, and this Proverbs 31 woman of valor, she has certainly made history, whether she was a literal figure that someone was looking to as an ideal, whether this is an overarching description of the beauty of womanhood and the possibilities and the potential that exists there, or if it is a beautiful allegory for the church, the bride of Christ, who is waiting on a bridegroom to come to her. This isn't something that we want to just take and, like, blanket apply to women saying, you want to be a good woman, you want to be a God-honoring woman, here's your checklist. <laughs> because it's just not possible. And what's really sad, Norman, this, this beautiful passage of scripture has been used to just perpetuate what you and I have talked about before, this kind of rigid and unbiblical gender hierarchies that can exist when we go into scripture. We every time we pick up the Bible, no matter what we're picking it up to read, we bring bias into our Bible reading. Even if we're trying not to, we still do. We have so many implicit biases that we're not even aware that we have. And a lot of times those come from our own cultures, our own religious traditions. Um, we come with an expectation that in the pages of the of Scripture we're going to find meek and submissive women (laughs) and instructions for these women to continue to be subservient beings. So if we've been, if women, I think I'm part of a generation that is starting to shake some of that off. I'm very comfortable in who I am as a woman of God. I celebrate that. I feel very much empowered, not only by God, but by most of the brothers and sisters that surround me in the church. But if I were to step in and expect that that, That natural um, marginalization, that natural nastiness that has been there culturally for generations, you can make the Bible say a lot of things that it's not actually saying. (laughs) In reality, little of that kind of misogyny is actually in the text. That's in us. And it's in our interpretations. It's what we bring with us when we translate it or when we read the book ourselves. It's learned behavior. So it, we only insert it there because we expect it. So this is an opportunity. As we're walking through these passages together, as we're talking about not only what it means to be a virtuous woman, not only the beauty and the potential for all of womankind, but also to say, what is the beauty and the potential for the bride of Christ? The ideal woman, and that's not just a woman. The bride of Christ includes men. (laughs) This is something beautiful. We, the church, the bride, are waiting for our bridegroom to come back. What do we need to do to ready ourselves, to be worthy of him, to be ready to receive him in his fullness and understand the beauty of how much he adores us, how much he loves us, how much he calls us blessed? So, yeah, well, that's,
2: that's a very, my oh, little elevator speech
0: jumping into this. I'm so excited to dig in. There's so much in here. But um, just letting in that little context that it's not just about how do we make our girls fit this ideal. It's really about saying, church, how do we show up and meet this need, meet this ideal so that the world can see Jesus for who he is?
2: Well, I'm glad that you gave that breakdown. And um, based on the fact that we are – Um, looking at this from two different – I'm going to say we're going to look at this from two different perspectives. We're going to say we're going to look at it as for women, but we're going to also look at it for the church. So we're looking at it for the church. There's still a lot for the church to do, and the church is not doing (laughs) all of that. And so there is a responsibility for this woman, the church, Mm -hmm. that Mm – needs to be fulfilled and there are many things in here that we could discuss as it relates to the church and to be able yeah. to see this as okay the church has a lot of responsibility how are we matching up to what it talks about in here mm, that's so good how I do we it. how do we measure how do we measure up to what is it that the lord is saying to us through this passage that yeah we need to either do better or that we have never done or that mm-hmm. we are just, uh we were oblivious to, you know, there's a lot of different ways to say it. So, yeah. you know, if we just, if we talk about, um like, for instance, in verse 10 where it starts, you know, um <laughs> one of the things that I like about this is that it said, her price is far above rubies. Now in our in our day and time we talk about diamonds as if they are the the epitome of jewels and stuff like that, gems. Yeah. But you know, I have a I have an idea about the rubies that is uh, very um I've never heard it before. I I'll, I'll be honest with you, I've never heard anybody discuss this before. But it comes to me as I'm uh, looking at the word rubies because rubies are red. And to mm-hmm. me, when I hear that, when I look at that, rubies is representing the blood. Yes. And <laughs> so when we talk about the blood that um, is precious, you know, so many people in the blo- in the body of Christ, a lot of people would talk about the precious blood of Jesus, you know. Yeah. And the thing is, is that his blood was so precious but yet he shed it for us
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: that was how that was how how um, important we were to him that was how much we we cost to him that's how much you know he was willing to invest in us and it was far above our value to him was far above him just um and i hate to say it this way but i'm i'm say it this way to kind of bring a point home to yeah. merely shed his blood okay mm-hmm. i know that yeah. that's you know when we think about him shedding his blood it it meant so much to him for us to be who he wants us to be that that was a quote unquote small thing for him to do
0: yeah Absolutely. Well, the price paid for her was his blood, his sacred blood, and that it, it's really showcasing how much the bridegroom says that she is worth. Like, yeah. it's, it's not even about how the world might see her. But we're looking at this just like, oh, it, even if you would say something like, oh, I'd rather have a diamond than a ruby. Well, guess what? It's not about what kind of stone it is. It's about looking at it in the, the allegorical and poetic language that is pointing, even before Christ's birth, to the sacrifice that he would make. Even back here, where we're having these conversations, looking at this through a new covenant lens, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head with this. The price paid for her was the shed blood of of Christ, and that defined her worth. I think this part, this entry point is so important right now because I'm going to be honest with you, there is a culture right now in Christendom, and I run in some of these circles where people are being highly critical of the church right now, highly critical of the bride, sometimes not with a redemptive attitude, not showing up to say, how do we redeem her or how do we reform her, but instead let's just criticize her. This is an important reminder for us to remember what Christ says she is worth. She's more precious than rubies, than many, many jewels. Like this this is him assigning her worth, not her having to earn it, but what he says she's worth. And that's beautiful for any woman, for any wife, or for the church herself. This is just beautiful. I love it.
2: So now, you know, there's a – the next the next thing that follows that, it talks about trust. Now, mm. that word is obviously a very deep word for a lot of people because it means many different things to people. We have levels of trust, you know. Some people yeah. say, uh, you know, trust is earned and stuff like that, you know. The mm. thing is, why, I guess the question would be, why does her husband, safely trust in her Mm -hmm. what is it about her that makes him trust
0: (laughs) well i think you're if you're looking at it from a perspective of christ in the church and then even this being laid out as an example for husbands and wives i mean I, i will see this direct connection trust from a worldly standpoint is something that's earned But actually, from a biblical standpoint, trust is given until it's broken. Think back to Genesis. Think back to creation when God created Adam and Eve. He gave them everything. He gave them full trust of the entire world. There was no, like, "Mm, I'm going to give you, like, a little trial run here, see how that goes for you, and then maybe you'll get promoted to, like, chief animal namer or something. No, he just said, take the world, like, like subdue it, populate it, Name the animals, do whatever you want, like just take it, it's yours, go be stewards. The only thing I'm asking you to do is not even that tree. That's not one thing. (laughs) But but even as we're looking at all of this, that trust was demonstrated by the Father to his creation at the very beginning of what we call time. And so we're looking here in this same example through a new covenant lens. Knowing what Jesus was going to do, we know, they didn't, but we know what Jesus was going to do. He's showing up with the exact same heart of the father as a, as a good man. Uh, and in this instance, if we're chasing down the allegory, a good husband naturally, give, and he trusts his wife until she gives him a reason not to. He shows up and says, you know what, you don't have to prove to me that you're worthy of my trust. I'm going to give that to you. And that's a level of grace that seems pretty reckless to the world, but that's the heart of the Father. That's how he shows up. Even He's already shown up in extended forgiveness through the shed blood of Jesus before we step up to ask for it. When Christ died on the cross, he died once and for all. He defeated sin. He died to redeem our future sin before it even happened. So even us going to the Father in needed repentance, going and realigning with his heart, we're really only choosing to align with the truth that we've already been forgiven. It is wild. So this, this one-liner, thinking about that trust of the, a husband to a wife, it's hard for us as humans because humans don't naturally want to operate that way. But this just demonstrates the heart of the father. He has entrusted his heart to her because she brings to him some of the. Some other translations will say she brings to him the rich spoils of victory, and some of that that original language is actually looking and showcasing. You know, no prize does he lack. That prize is described as like spoils after a war it's showcasing this woman of valor coming home after battle bringing home on the spoils of war to her husband it's the wildest gender stereotype flip (laughs) that i've ever seen like it's it's really the father saying i see you i value you and because of my great unfathomable love for you i'm going to give you my trust before you even have a chance to earn it That's something that's hard for us as mortals to wrap our heads around. But, man, that's just how good he is. That's how good he is. And there is definitely correlation, definitely overlap and opportunity, even in our marriages, to not come in guarded and say, "Mm, I'll trust you when you show me that you're worthy of trust, at least not from the get-go. Certainly if trust has been breached, that needs work, that needs love, that needs healing and restoration. But what are we restoring back to? This ideal where trust doesn't have to be earned. You have it from the beginning. That's part of covenant. So, yeah, I could talk about that. Yeah. That's another message.
2: <laughs> so <laughs> so um, the thing that followed that that you kind of already mentioned that was uh, kind of interesting is how it says, um, in the King James Version, it says, so that he shall have no need of spoil. And spoil mm. is the word uh, booty or prey. Um mm-hmm. and it also comes from uh the root word that means to drop or strip by implication to plunder. So yeah. it's almost like indicating some type of a war or a battle or something like that, because typically when you're talking about spoils in the Bible it's talking about after a war, after a fight, mm-hmm. something happened mm-hmm. and um and you get whatever is left over. And so him trusting in her, so that he will have no need of that, is a very, very powerful uh, statement that's made because so he he doesn't have to go to war to get some spoils because he's already getting what he needs from her in the house. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, so and that is, that, shouldn't it be that way in our marriages? Like, I've never seen a more beautiful application. That was so good, Norman. Love that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, so now um, going to verse 12. Now, this one right here is is kind of a little deep, but, mm-hmm. you know, it, it'll probably cut some people initially. They might not like it the way it sounds or whatever, but... We have to read it for what it says. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Now, yeah. one of the things I want to say before we go into that is that, first of all, uh, what we are discussing today is not meant to bring any condemnation to anybody, number one. Yeah. Number two, if anything, it is meant to awaken us all to another level of revelation of who we are as the bride of Christ, as the body of Christ, you know, because a lot of us have been lulled to sleep based on, Mm. you know, rituals, you know, traditions, things of that nature that have nothing to do with relationship. And what Mm -hmm. we're talking about here is a relationship. This is a thing that, you know, I remember back years ago, when um i think i i used to have this question i used to ask people and i said i would ask them do you know what the bible is about and i would just ask them that vague it sounded like a vague question but when i would after they would give me their answer i would say no 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 it's about a relationship between a father and his child yeah. that's what the yeah. bible is all about it's a relationship Everything is a relationship from the beginning to the end, and so when we look at this whole thing as a relationship, we relationally uh, approaching this, then we will realize that when you're in a relationship with someone, you know, in in the in the most perfect form of that love and things of that nature that we should typically have. For the one that we're in relationship with, then out of that will be good that will come. And so when we talk about um, there not being any evil done to someone that we love, that is based on us really having that um, understanding and or that connection to them to where it's like we don't want to do anything to hurt them. We don't want to do anything that's going to make them feel, you know, bad or, or whatever, destroy their confidence, destroy their, um, their trust or whatever, whatever it may be. But yet in our flawed nature, some things have happened with all of us where we may have hurt somebody that we were in relationship with. And the thing is, is that, you know, like one of the things that I kind of want to clarify is that when we're talking about hurt versus good, because one of the things that I don't want people to confuse is that, okay, even if I as a husband want to do good towards my wife, I can still unintentionally hurt her yeah because yeah. of not realizing something I said or did or whatever, but that was not me being evil, yeah, that was me being maybe ignorant at the time, that was me maybe being unaware at the time or whatever, mm-hmm. and it goes the other way too, so the thing is is that when when we look at this passage and it's talking about good and um in the king James, well, in the strong concord it says, in the widest sense of good, and then it talks about good thing, good man, good woman, uh <clears throat> better, bountiful, cheerful, you know these are the words that is also translated as in the in the um King James version, and so yeah. we're talking about you know things that are giving us good feelings and pleasure and things of that nature. So when we look at this, you know, obviously life, there are things about life and things that we encounter with one another that will cause us to, you know, have those moments where something happens that doesn't make us feel good, but it was not an intentional evil done either. That's good. And so that's what what we have to realize about, like, you know, a, a friend of mine, he said something to me about the difference between wickedness and iniquity or wickedness and sin I, I i think it was i think it was wickedness and sin whereas it's like sin is like okay you will you might do something and then you'll sin you know and but you know it's something that was like it wasn't like something that you were necessarily planning to do but yeah. You did it in the moment or whatever. But then the wickedness yeah. is like when it is something, or maybe it was iniquity, where it's like something that is planned out, intentionally done, the person knows what they're doing, and they just continue to do it. Mm-hmm. So those are two different types of things. And so what what I see when I when I see this about the evil, I see it as, you know, we're not – you're not going out here trying to intentionally hurt um someone you know just because you did hurt them. It did not mean you meant to do it, but it could happen so so in other words, what I'm trying to say to people is that the good is still being done you you as your the bride of christ, you're still trying to do good. Towards your Lord and Savior, but sometimes there are things that you will do that may hurt him, but it was not an intentional evil against him.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Aren't you just so thankful for grace? Like (laughs) knowing that at our On our best day, we are fumbling through life. Like we are trying our darndest to figure this out (laughs) as we go. And in in one way or another, we as wives of husbands or the bride of Christ to Jesus, our Savior, we don't want to bring disgrace to our family name. We don't want to do that. Sometimes we screw up and that happens and there's beautiful opportunity for repentance and there's... Endless wells of grace that are waiting for us, at least on Jesus' end. But if our heart, if our goal can be for, if we are a wife, for our husband to be so thrilled and never ashamed to just show us off to the world because they're so proud of us. Because they're so glad they get to be covenanted with us. Wouldn't we, the church, just want Christ to delight in us? Even more than he already does, as broken as we are, we want him to be proud of us, to show us off so that Jesus would not be ashamed to display the bride to the whole world. We're going to have to repent of some things because sometimes these unnecessary or um, unintentional sins, the things that you've been talking about, especially when we're looking at it from a church perspective, man, we have seriously gotten some things wrong in Past generations, when we're talking, yeah. you know, racially, we're talking, you know, from a gender perspective, when we're talking from a family perspective, and we're, like, yeah. look at slavery. Like, there are so many ways that we, the church, have gotten it wrong and needed to repent. But I'm telling you right now, Norman, there's still some, there's still some opportunity here for us yes. to read this account of the the virtuous woman, the daring woman, the radiant bride, this passage, and say... Hey, church, do we look like her? Do we look like that? And if we don't, what Father, what is it that you're asking us to repent of? What can we do? What can we do differently? And that heart of humility, oh, my goodness gracious, that's what makes Jesus so proud of us. That's what makes him want to show us off. When we show up with that heart of humility and a desire to grow and learn, like that translates into all relationships. When we unintentionally hurt somebody, certainly we need to be the one to go and to make amends and say, wow, you know what? Not just like, oh, sorry if that hurt you. Like, and just say, I'm sorry I hurt you. I wasn't aware of what I was doing, but that doesn't excuse it. Will you forgive me? Teach me. Help me. And being, that's, that's the heart, that's the essence of re- reconciliation. And that, rec- that repentance leads to reconciliation, something that's already been offered by Jesus, but we get to partner with that through repentance as individuals and as the church. So this, that line, it is high challenge. And the way that you laid it down, Norman, was absolutely perfect. Just understanding that regardless of our intentions, whether we meant to or didn't mean to at all, There's opportunity for repentance, there's opportunity for growth and for increased depth in relationship that brings us to the place of intimacy where as spouses or as (laughs) brides and bridegrooms, we can be proud of one another, we can show one another off. And that then, in a husband and wife relationship, it empowers the wife to be proud of her husband not to tear him down, not to speak ill of him behind his back, not to conspire against him or dismiss him, but to lift him up, to honor him, to be so proud to be associated with him. And then for the church to be so proud, to be, to be authentically covenanted and connected to Jesus, the Savior of the world. We should be so proud of him. We should never be ashamed of him or his gospel. Like, this is an opportunity you know, for repentance and for restoration in these relationships. And that one line pierces me through my heart. It's so good.
2: <laughs> you know, um, before we get out of here, there's one other thing I wanted to uh, bring out because we're getting ready to um, end this, this segment of this series. But uh, there's a couple of things that I noticed that I wanted to point out real quick. The first thing mm-hmm. is that, it said virtuous woman not virtuous wife now i want to make this clear real quick before we move on that <clears throat> number 1 if we if we if we discuss this from the perspective of a woman not the church then we are not saying this is not saying that for you to be virtuous that means you are a wife you don't have to be a wife to be virtuous okay <laughs> however the Bible does say, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. So in other words, you know, you have to be a wife before you are found. So that means that you're already operating and functioning as that when he finds you. And then you become that officially for that man in particular. The second thing I wanted to point out is, and this is something that it might make you kind of laugh, and when you think about it, because this is going to sound silly. But when was the last time you heard a Christian who is in love with Jesus talking badly about him behind his back? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, doesn't that sound real stupid and silly to even think it about does, something like, like that?
0: Yeah, it does. But unfortunately, you see a lot of people not necessarily tear down the name of Jesus, but in misrepresenting him the way that we do in the world, like, pretty much doing the same thing. Like, it's, you know, even the word says, like, we'll stand before him. And to some of us, who's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. People who claimed his name claimed his goodness, and so it's sobering, but it is really funny, like if you claim Jesus, you typically don't talk bad about him, but I can think in my own walk in early years when yes, I believed, but i didn't know how to i didn't know how to make that work in culture i didn't know how to be an on fire you know jesus freak i didn 't know how to do it i wouldn't down i wouldn't tear down Jesus, but I would definitely work around him in a way that would very much be called denial, very much mm. be called denial. And if I deny him, how can that be me honoring him? If I deny the goodness that he's done for me, if I, if I don't tell people about what, what he's done for me and for my life and for my family, I've, I've dishonored him as as horribly as, as if I called him evil. But yeah, it's it's funny when you think about it until you understand like what it means and it's sobering.
2: Yeah. Um I would say it like this, the more in love that you become with a person, the less you will talk evil or negatively about them when they're not around. Yes. That that to me is the that is the whole point of what I was seeing in this is that when you are talking about love, and and not the kind of uh, flippant things that people are talking about these days, because they'll say they love somebody, but then you know yeah. they'll be wanting to divorce the next day or something like that it's like wait a minute I mean how do you how do you really love this person you want to divorce them now that doesn't make sense (laughs) you know what I'm saying and and it's one thing if you say it's one thing if you say man I'm so mad at you I don't even want to talk to you right now or whatever but when you say I'm so mad I want to divorce you tomorrow or today or whatever like it, that's just crazy because you can't go from one extreme to another right at this moment. Like, it doesn't happen like that, you know. So I, I – um. but that was just a thought that I just wanted to end on as we're going to end this section uh, – as this session, rather, of us discussing this. But we are already – We already finished one podcast. We only got three verses done. That's how deep this goes. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm looking forward to the rest of this series. This is going to be amazing when we get done. Uh, Whoever is listening to this, make sure you keep tuning in because it's going to get better and better and um and and make sure you share with your your network of people as well so that they can hear what we're talking about with the church and and we're going to we're going to continue to break this down as we go along and and get deeper and deeper into what this is talking about and what this looks like for us as a body of Christ so once again thank you for listening to New Numa Godcast make sure you tune in every Friday as we get into new, deeper subjects about the things that the church needs to be aware of, things that are taboo, things that are just hot topics, trending things that we need to discuss, you know. But make sure you tune in, subscribe to the YouTube channel, to the podcast, and all that. And if you haven't already and you're on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please make sure you give us a five-star rating and leave a, an inspiring comment on there to make others want to listen. Thank you again for listening. You've been listening to the New Numa Godcast. Peace.
1: What's up, family? This is Norman. Thanks for listening to New Numa. We appreciate you, and that includes your feedback. What do you like most about the podcast? What are your favorite subjects? What types of guests would you like to hear more? Shoot us an email today at new.numa.podcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com and let us know your thoughts. Peace.